that's an internal look of like, what do you want? What is the context of this situation? And what is my desired outcome? I think there's a completely different conversation that you're going to have between the random intoxicated frat boy at the bus stop and your uncle who says homophobic things. I have a vested interest in my relationship with people in my family. So what is authentic there is continuing the conversation. You don't have the perfect 15 second soundbite for both of those things because your wanted outcome is very different. Being authentic is being true to not what feels right in this moment necessarily, but where do I want this to go? Who who do I want to be in this moment? Welcome. I'm your host, Dino Cattaneo, and you're listening to Authentic Leadership for Everyday People, the podcast where we investigate the connection between effective leadership and authenticity. If you're looking for inspiration and tips on how to become a better leader by being your true self, you're in the right place. Last week, we talked to Jim Bethany, former chief creative officer at Walmart. We talked about how to lead in creative environment, how to grow from a creator and a doer into a leader of actually creative people, how to champion the best idea. And then we talked about the transition from the agency world to the C-suite on the brand side. Even more importantly, we talked about her decision to take a pause with her career, why that is important and how people can conquer some of the fears associated with getting off the treadmill for a bit. Today, we talked about finding the courage to show yourself in your full authentic self. Our guest, Ash Beckham, calls herself the accidental advocate. She's a speaker, author, and corporate trainer. Ash used her experience as an LGBTQ advocate to build a framework for having hard conversations about our vulnerabilities, whatever they may be. We talked about her journey of embracing her own identity and the process of coming out. We talked about how sharing your vulnerabilities builds trust and the power you have when you show up as your authentic self. It was a very powerful and at times emotional conversation, but we also find a lot of very practical advice that will help you if you need to have some difficult conversations, both in your personal and professional life. Enjoy. Let's start. Have you introduced yourself to my listeners, who you are, what you do, and a little bit of how you got here? Sure, absolutely. Uh, my name is Ash Beckham. I am a speaker and an author, an entrepreneur, and a mom. I love having conversations like this. And when I saw the the title of the podcast, it seems like we were we were just dialed in with each other. So I thought we would have a, a brilliant conversation. So I'm thrilled to be here. Great. And so, what is your main area of activity right now? And you know, you 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 mentioned a, a number of things, but what's your area of specialty, and what drew you here? I feel like right now my overwhelming responsibility is being mom. I've I got, you know, it's this time of year, two sick kids, all the things. So I feel like that has been, uh, the squeeze has been there. I feel like for so many of us, we spin so many plates and the one that feels like it's always going to fall is that mom one. So I do that. And then um, I do some speaking virtually and, and in person is starting to happen again. I'm going to do some executive and team coaching and and how you can bring a team together and not only have them individually understand their authenticity, but understand how teams that can be authentic with each other really allow the, the, the teams to achieve things they never could have prior to that. Uh, and then I also run a family business where we put on girls fast pitch softball tournaments back in Ohio where I grew up. So that is, I do that as mostly in the summer. So uh, between all those things, I stay pretty busy. 
the reason why you're here is you have a number of TEDx talks online, which I really encourage people to go and listen to your, I believe your first one is a 2013. That's the one that I'm referring to. It's a talk about coming out of your closet. And I, I like, I got into sec when I want to say 30 or 45. And I'm like, I want to have her on the podcast because the first statement that you make in that talk is that we all have a closet. And then there's another part that really, really resonated with me is when you talk about the fact that whatever the closet is, it is hard. And that as humans, we should not measure our hard relatively to our hard because, because hard is just hard. So I'm interesting in sort of hearing a little bit of the journey that got you to formulate that talk, you know, what, what like some of your experiencing into coming into your own, if you will, overall, and then how you went from that personal process to really creating a framework that is really applicable to a lot of different situations. Sure, absolutely. Well, I, you know, like, like so many people that, that are diverse or have a diversity, whether that's seen or unseen, you know, I, I found I was lucky enough to find myself in a place where I was safe and I could be out and, and do the things I wanted to in, in my community, in my neighborhood. But I realized there were so many more conversations that needed to be had and, and people's reluctance, especially I live in uh, right now outside of Boulder. So it's a, it's a pretty progressive place. So you weren't getting a lot of people who, who were using the word gay in a pejorative way, right? That like, it, it wasn't that people weren't homophobic. They just didn't have a comfort level with having hard conversations. And, and regardless of how receptive the audience is, when you have to come out about something and that could be, you know, anything from mental health crisis to whether you're LGBTQ, whether you have a, a learning disability, like things that people can't see, right? You have a neurodivergent child. Like when you are going to say things that are unexpected to other people, there is a moment, however brief that may be, where you question if it will change the relationship. And that feeling to me is universal. We've all done that. We've all had to break up with somebody, right? Or had to tell somebody we have broken up or we have a sick parent or we can't come to the meeting because our kid is homesick, right? We, like we have these challenges, we all have them. And and we really got to the point of, of I think a lot of times it was a badge of honor of, of how hard things were for, for some of us, but that just really doesn't lead us anywhere because when we're comparing what's hard for us to what's hard for somebody else, we're either overplaying our struggles or minimizing somebody else's struggles and and or minimizing our own and that really doesn't get us where we need to be so if we can relate on that feeling of those hard conversations and start from kind of that center point it really gives us the ability to relate you don't have to know what it's like to come out to your parents but if you've had to have a really hard conversation with someone you love and you think when you tell the truth it's going to change their opinion of you and potentially change your relationship. You know what it feels like to come out. It doesn't, it doesn't really like the, the rest of it is just kind of semantics to me. I'm wondering if you would be willing to share sort of like a couple of the moments in your life where you had the experience of having this hard conversation and then how that translated into starting on thinking how that could be sort of an area where you could help other people with. Yeah, absolutely. I kind of took a path for me in, in my development and my self-expression that I 
never, once I was out, and I think that that is the case with a lot of people, like once you live authentically, it is really hard to live any other way. So once I, you know, made the decision to be out and, and be happy and, and not hide that and, and not avoid questions if I was dating anyone and, and be more forthcoming with people in my life, because I kind of had developed the courage to withstand that, I think that that's part of it, right? Like, we have to steel ourselves against the hits that we think we're going to take when we're authentic. And for me, at least, those hits are much more created in my head than in reality. But still, it doesn't matter in that in that way that we protect ourselves. In the when the adrenaline and, and cortisol gets going, it doesn't matter if the threat is real or perceived. If we think there's going to be a threat, threat to our safety, a threat to our connection with other humans, then we have those feelings. But once I decided that I could take that, it was almost the more authentic I was, the more positive the responses I got. Right? Because people know don't necessarily know when you're not telling the truth, but when you are completely honest and upfront and authentic, then they know they can trust you, right? They, they're not going to find out from somebody else. Like they just know when you're willing to be vulnerable in that way, you, you just, you establish a connection with people that you're not going to BS them because after that, why would you? Like you have nothing to hide. If you're not going to hide an individual part of yourself, then you're not going to hide anything else. You're not going to lie about the budget line at work if you're willing to have these harder conversations, right? So it really, it establishes that baseline of trust. And so I started to do that. And, and then I had this moment where friends of mine that weren't, I got super judgmental over, of really, you know, criticizing, like, how can you live like that? How can you live in the closet? Just, you're not brave enough, really, what it was. It didn't matter that, you know, two months before I was in the exact same space. I feel like when we're on those journeys of, of evolution, we often forget how recently we were two, three, four steps down, right? Like we were, we, we, we have our eye on the prize and we're moving forward and we rarely look back. And so, so I came to, and then I had this realization that these were, it, it wasn't a matter of them being brave enough. It was just a, a matter of the context they lived in and, and what kind of person they wanted to be and where they found their safety. So then I, I found a responsibility of, of having to have these conversations for the people that couldn't, right? To, for the people that were in a job where there was a solid chance it wasn't going to be accepted, right? And so I started to really think, and, and for me always, it's about community. It's about trying to find likeness that we have with each other as opposed to establishing our differences because you know I want to hear about somebody else's struggles but but we're going to start with how we're the same and then we're going to build that trust again to then discuss why we're different and have those awkward conversations about race about gender identity about all the things that are so taboo because we don't know how to have those conversations authentically so that was kind of the beginning for me in in knowing that that I could, I could bring it up. And also that this doesn't have to be a conversation that's, you know, somebody on a soapbox wagging their finger about doing it right and doing it wrong. I think to have some levity and some humor in the humanity that is this experience also really makes it approachable, right? And, and that it isn't black or white. It's we all live in this gray middle and some people you know, some things are easy for some of us and, and hard for some of us. But but if we push ourselves against those things that are challenging, we the situations don't change. We get better at dealing with with those hard conversations. We build that 
resolve to be more authentic. And again, that it's just a, a cycle to me of then you just, there's, you don't know any other way to be. It's just a second nature. It just, it isn't something you do. Like being authentic isn't something you do. It's who you are. I think one of the biggest fears that people have is that if they're authentic, as you mentioned, they'll be rejected or something will go wrong. And I'm wondering if you have an anecdote or a sort of situation where actually, you know, being yourself ended up in a situation where things didn't work out the way you expected them and then how you navigated that and how that then translated into sort of the work that you're doing with people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, you know, so much of it is, at least in the LGBTQ realm for me, and when we're talking about race, we're talking about other situations as well, I would make my statements of of my outness almost without taking into context my situation. It, It was more of like a chest pumping, right? So I would be in situations where it was potentially not safe, and I would, out of stubbornness, just like grab my girlfriend's hand. And that put us in some uncomfortable situations. I think I was younger and brash and unapologetic. And my authenticity was to be, that's the thing with authenticity, right? It changes. Like what's authentic when you're 20 is not authentic when you're 40, which is not authentic when you're 10 or when you're 60, right? Like we have to know that what it means to be truly us constantly changes because we're taking in information and situations. And so to be mindful of, I I kind of switched as opposed to making a statement in situations and almost daring challenge. uh, I tried to become so much more conversational and assess the situation and that I wasn't any less of an advocate because I deemed a situation unsafe and just got through it. Right. I think there's so much of that of being authentic doesn't mean every single second of your life is hard. That's not what it's supposed to be. It means that it's true. Those are two totally different things. So I think there was, those were those situations. So then that changed what it meant to be authentically me. I was in it for the long haul and wasn't going to put my life or my girlfriend's life or my friend's lives in danger because I had to prove a point of how strong I was. It, that just changed who I was authentically. And then knowing what that aloneness feels like and, the, and that internal struggle of, I should be brave enough. I should be strong enough. I should be resilient enough that kind of you doubt your own authenticity as opposed to really dropping in and, and figuring out what it meant. So that to me was another reason to to have people feel that they weren't alone, that that struggle of, do I need to be an advocate constantly every moment, every day, be an activist? Am I less of one if I take a break? And I think the answer is is no, anybody can be a leader and an activist in the way that feels most genuine and true to them. So something really interested in what you just said, in some ways you said, oh, am I less of an activist if I'm not that way a certain time? But if I were to rephrase the question to instead in a, you know, relatively more or less of an activist, but like in being the most effective activist or advocate, Now, what were some of the key principles that you could say, okay, what's the most effective way to be a good advocate and a good activist and while being authentic? Absolutely. Well, I think it's, that's an internal look of like, what do you want? What is the context of this situation? And what is my desired outcome? I think there's a completely different conversation that you're going to have between the random intoxicated frat boy at the bus stop and your uncle who says homophobic things. 
right? Like I have a vested interest in my relationship with people in my family. So what is authentic there is continuing the conversation. You don't have the perfect 15 second soundbite for both of those things because your wanted outcome is very different. So I think being authentic is being true to not what feels right in this moment necessarily, but where do I want this to go? Who who do I want to be in this moment? And being very honest with my ability to be effective, right? It's the same way that you know, if you're if you're coaching a team, some people are motivated by being yelled at, and some people are motivated by being treated differently. And the best coaches get the best out of their players by knowing individually what they want. So I think to me, it's assessing the situation and deciding it's not even which version of yourself you want to be, because if you're truly authentic, it's which tools will serve you best to get you to the outcome you are most interested in. You know, if your teammate at work is consistently using the wrong pronouns, that is a relationship that you're going to have to build. So calling them out in front of your boss is not necessarily the most effective way to have that happen. It might feel better in the moment, but a side conversation of like, hey, I know it's hard. I'm here for it. Here's some resources that could help educate you about it. If you want to talk about it, let's talk about it. But I need to tell you how it makes me feel when you use the wrong pronouns. I'm not going to have that conversation with the guy at the bus stop. It's just, it isn't worth my time, right? It's, there's, there's not an effectiveness that's there. There's no reciprocity in there, right? But people that we want relationships with, we take a little bit of time to have the conversation. And the most important part to me is to allow it to be a conversation so they can come back and ask questions. That it's a give and take. It isn't a kind of top-down dictate of this is how it needs to be. None of us want that. So how can we expect other people will too? Yeah, that's very true. And uh, so I'm interested, you mentioned the work environment and some of the things that you talk about in your speech are the idea that there can be very many clauses that can be very different. And so I'm interested in, if we think about it in an abstract way, you know, what are some of the key steps of principles that somebody can take that has, let's call it a vulnerability that they're afraid to share with the world, especially like in the professional environment. So what are some of the key steps and some of the key principles that they may want to apply as they get ready to start the sharing process? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to have the conversation with yourself first. I mean, the hardest person I ever told I was gay was myself, right? Like that was the hardest one. I can't, I got on board pretty quickly, but that was the hardest one was admitting it and embracing it and, and giving myself that solid foundation. So I think that's the first one is acknowledging that it's a vulnerability and being very clear that those risks of changing relationships are real. And to me, here's why, because a lot of times, if we've been in the closet about something, we have inevitably lied to people close to us right? Either by omission or not. We have, we have told them untruths. And, and that to me is, is a breach of that trust. So there is understandably going to be some pushback. So I think the first one is admitted to ourselves. The second one is that somebody's potential of being an ally does not rest solely on their immediate reaction to that news. Like we've taken time to decide this is something we want to share. 
that this is something that is true and authentic about us, right? Like it has taken time. So to expect that the people that we are close to, to all of a sudden be on board is wishful thinking, but it's not a kind of a one-time deal. We need to give them time to process. So I think that's part of it too. I think a third one is once we do have people in our lives that, that know this thing about us, that we kind of assemble our social safety net. So if I'm going to share something with one of my close coworkers and my friends outside of work know this about me, but it's a big deal for me to divulge this vulnerability, I kind of set my people up and say, hey, today's the day. You make sure that they're there to catch you afterwards. I think that's that's an important one to know that you're not you're not going through this alone, that you have community to support you when you've kind of launched into these conversations. So th- those would kind of be the three steps to me. I think it's coming to terms with it yourself, giving people the time and the space that they need post your releasing your vulnerability to kind of deal with it and come back. And then the third one would be having your social safety net. And then the last one would be making it a conversation. Again, you don't we don't, you can't wrap these things up in the, in these perfect tidbits that people can take. And then all of a sudden the world changes, right? Like we want them to come back and ask us questions. They, we, we want it to be a conversation if the other person is up for that. So we have to leave that door open that it's a two way street. And, and if it's somebody, we owe them the space for that conversation. Take this a little further. This vulnerability, whatever it is, it's something that's very unique to us. And it's the process of becoming authentic is the process of fully embracing it. And so if the first step is the one to sort of like share it with the world, I think the second step is the full embrace of it and make it a core of how we relate to the world and using that as a form to connect and to be more effective, if you will, in the world. You mentioned in the early part of our conversation that the way that we are authentic changes through our ages. And some of it is also having more of an understanding and more confidence and comfort in being who we truly are and and, and how we use that to relate to the world. So I'm interested in hearing how that evolved for you as you kind of like you know, the process of coming out and then becoming an advocate and then, you know, make it a, a core part in a way that it's much, much more broader than your individual identity. Because I, the way that you talk about activism, et cetera, it's a platform that I felt hearing you talk about it can relate to anything. So one, I want to hear sort of like some advice and, and thoughts as to how you go through the process of, if you will, coming out and then embracing it and then kind of make it basically a platform for yourself? It was certainly a struggle. You know, I wasn't somebody that knew when when they were in middle school and then repressed it through high school. Like, I think you you look back on things like that and and it makes, you're like, oh, well, that makes sense. You know, things I just remember not understanding, like the, the appeal of boys at the middle school dance like just didn't click for me i did it because that's what everybody was doing but it never like it didn't feel right and then i remember going to you'd see movies and romantic comedies and you know i grew up in a you know upper middle class white suburb in the midwest and that's just kind of what you saw there wasn't there were just no other options i mean i think that's like the beauty now is that you see 
representation does matter because you the, you only see there's one way. So if you don't fit in that way, then something's wrong with you. It's not that they're not showing other options. So I think that's part of the challenge. But for me, I kind of had this realization and then now I look back on it and I saw, um, I remember seeing Top Gun in the movie theater and all of my friends were like out of their minds about Tom Cruise and they have the, you know, the bedroom scene and Kelly McGillis and I was like, my brain like fritzed out a little bit. And I was like, wait a second, that doesn't really make sense. You know, like, and just kind of walked away from it and didn't really think anything of it. But I, but I remember things being different that I remember the first time for me, the first time I kissed a woman, like everything came together, like everything fit. It was the feeling I never, that I knew I was looking for. And I think that's part of it for me is that universality of that, like falling in love is falling in love, right? Being like head over heels out of your mind, kind of cuckoo about somebody. It doesn't matter who's on the other end of it. That feeling is the same. Uh, by the same token, having your heart broken feels the same too. It doesn't matter who breaks it, right? And so I, I, for me, that kind of understanding of all of a sudden it made all everything made sense. Romantic interests and movies and book, like everything made sense to me when I had that experience of like, oh, this is what people were talking about. This is why my friends in high school were out of their minds. I didn't realize it. I didn't have it. Because it was there was no reciprocity, and I like dated great men, had great friendships with that. Like it, I had connection, but it was a different deal. So I think the evolution to that for me was like even after my first girlfriend, and I was like, okay, this is everything to me. And then I got dumped, and I had this desire to call every single person I ever broke, and I was a bad breaker upper because I didn't really understand myself or what I wanted, and apologize. Because I don't, I don't think I understood what it meant to hold someone's heart in that way until mine was like obliterated. And so I, I feel like there was just this commonality for me of, of it, was a, it was like an ignorance, but I still like owed an apology to the people I had hurt because I didn't even know how badly I hurt them. So I think that that was a huge piece for me to to kind of go through the emotional ups and downs, you know, in college of kind of what that meant and then finding a place. And this was mid nineties. So it wasn't an awesome time. I needed some severe anonymity. So left my town and moved out to Colorado to kind of be able to experience that as I, as I wanted to, I kind of needed to be in a place that didn't have any judgment or like preconceived notions of who I was. And I, for some people we need space like that. And I think part of it was also not knowing what life would look like, right? Like, you have this prescribed life that you think you're going to have. And then all of a sudden it's like on its head and you don't like, then what, what does it mean? Like, do I still have a family? What do do I have to be like a, you know, gym teacher with 10 cats and live on a farm with, and only wear flannels? Like, I don't know. I didn't know. I was like, I don't know what this means. I don't know what this looks like. I know the stereotypes that I've been shown and I don't know if I want that, but I know that I have to be like this. And so for me, and again, it's, it's like, different with so many things. It's the kind of like the, the blessing and the curse, I think, with the LGBTQ community is that it's like such a fundamental human experience of love that that's, once that happened, I was like, well, whatever it takes, right? Like, whatever I need to do to live this life, I will live and whatever. I mean, I'm super, super close to my family. And I remember in my conversation of coming out to my parents was like, 
you know how much I love you and I will lose you over this. Like I can't not be this. I don't, this is so true and fundamental to who I am. That this is how I have to be. And also I don't want you to think differently of me because I'm gay and still me. I want you to think differently of gay people because now you know one, right? There's this like, that's the, that's the advocacy activist point, right? Is like, something used to be a them and then you meet somebody who is one of them who was previously an us to you and you can't how do you reconcile that like you can't square that circle unless you see that that's a connection that again the person you know isn't different the othering that you did might be off so there's like some some introspection to do i think around around that i'm not sure if that answered the question that was kind of a little bit of a love tangent but no that was that was great. One of the things that really struck me in, in your talk is the amount of empathy that you always show in your steps towards who's on the other side, right? This idea that if they don't get it right immediately, if they're making a first step towards it instead than passing judgment, you should appreciate that at least they made an attempt, right? There's the the portion of your talk where you talk about your sister's wedding and the whole table. Hey, I have, you know, I have a, a gay hairdresser and whatever. And you're very deliberate about, I could have gone back to my safe table and mocked those people. But instead, I appreciated that. And the sense that I got in the conversation is that that was not an immediate step for you to get to that point, right? And so what I'm interesting is, you know, if you think about your embracing your gay identity as as a platform for advocacy, et cetera, and then abstracting that into this idea of hard conversation, what was the process of starting to think about the effectiveness? You know, okay, if I want to be an activist, this step in figuring out how do you take into consideration the other side? Well, I think part of it is I was very intense about my expression, right? So I, you know, shaved my head and and I was very unapologetically and outwardly gay. You know what I mean? I guess now that you'd probably refer to it now as like gender expression, but like in the 90s, it was like, I was very much making a statement that I was gay and I was vigilant about having reactions to people that were staring at me and like almost provoking confrontation because I had been uncomfortable for so long that I wanted other people. That was my level of connection was like, okay, if you're going to make me feel uncomfortable, I'll show you, I'll make you feel uncomfortable too. It was a similar idea. But then I realized that I was going through, I remember having these like going out to, you know, be questioned about what bathroom I would go in and, and just being really harsh on strangers. And I remember friends witnessing that. And I expected this very strong kind of celebration from them. And, and, and I remember a really good friend of mine, who I'm actually having dinner with later tonight, say, well, that's not who you are. Like you yelling at little old ladies at Italian restaurants because they don't know what bathroom you should go in. Like, that's not my friend. Like, I get it but that's just not who you are. And so I had this kind of reflective moment of like, okay, well, who do I want to be? I mean, I felt like to me, it comes with that sense of self, right? Like once you are rooted, I knew in those conversations with people at my sister's wedding, there was nothing they were going to say that was going to make me not gay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was gay. I knew it. 
I had found space where I could live my life in its most authentic way. So the I wasn't going to change. The only option was for me to have a relationship with them or not have a relationship with them. And if I'm asking them to accept me for who I am and where I am, then I have to be willing to accept them where they are and how they are. And we move forward, like all relationships, right? Like that relationship can move forward, but I have to have a willingness to accept them exactly where they are. Because I think as long as people are moving forward, even if they're tripping over themselves, falling forward, they're trying. And what can we ask people to do but try? If they don't have the words, they don't have the exposure, they don't have the understanding, those are all we can, we can, that we can change. If they have the desire to connect, you can't make people want that, right? That is like intrinsic. So our role is to support that, is to be resources. Like to me, that is such a, it isn't just what people do to us. It's how do we help them on their journey to a better understanding? How do we usher them in? Like there's there's no such thing as too many allies, but to have an unfair expectation that people are just going to figure it out on their own or they're going to read enough books or search the right thing on Google, like that's not it. They have to be able to talk to us. So we need to be able to meet them where they are. It sounds so, I mean, that's, to me, that's just not too much to ask. Yeah. So is this sort of part of the work that you're doing, part of the corporate work that you do? And, and how does that translate into those environments? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, so many corporate diversity, equity, and inclusion lectures are like, you know, from HR and legal. I'm like, what you can say, what you can't say. It doesn't, it's like no, no fun. Nobody wants to do that. There's no part of that. That's a good time. But to go in and have a conversation that's like, it isn't just LGBTQ people that need to be authentic. It isn't just people of color that need to be authentic. Everybody needs to be authentic. So straight, white, cisgender guy, also you have vulnerabilities too. And if you want people to bring their full self to the table, you've got to do the same thing. And sometimes that means saying you don't know what you're talking about, or you don't know the answer, or you used to do it differently, or maybe we should figure that out together. Or I don't know if that's a holiday that's recognized by our organization, but let's let's go figure it out together. Let's make sure you get the time off when you need to. Maybe we should just have flexible holidays so people can celebrate whenever they want without having to disclose, right? Like you're part of the solution, but but you need to acknowledge what you don't know. And you have to be willing to put yourself in positions where you are the minority. Then you can start to know what it feels like, right? When you're the only something in the room, it feels a certain way. You know what it feels like to be excluded. You know what it feels like to belong. But if you don't know what that feels like, it's like somebody that's never had their heart broken. I have a hard time trusting people that haven't had their heart broken because you just don't know in the deepest way the fragility of that. So to not put yourself in a position where you're the only is selling yourself short of being able to empathize and know what it feels like for somebody else every single day. And then you start to understand that hiring markers and diversity is just checking boxes. I've got two of these and four of these and five of these. But inclusion and belonging is the sense that you're part of the team. Those are completely different things. So you have to know what it's like to feel like you're not part of it, to understand the importance and what it means to feel part of it. So what are like 
a couple of steps at somebody who has listened to this and has some reflection around, okay, I want to bring this into my environment. What are some of the, the two or three steps that they could take to start getting ready for it and implement some sort of conversation? I would, th- I mean, the first thing would be that you can lead from wherever you are. You don't have to have a, a certain title or a certain degree or so many direct reports to be a leader. You can decide in this space, my cube, my office, my Zoom, right? That this place is inclusive, that I'm going to be authentic and I invite everyone else to be authentic because that's what, that's what it takes. I mean, that it just at the end of the day, somebody's got to go first, right? And everybody has the power to go first. So they have the power to lead. So they know in this environment, and that could be just our one-on-one, that I'm going to be authentic and I invite you to be authentic. I would like us to get there. I'm not going to rush you there and I don't have an expectation that you're going to do it right away. But if I can continually be vulnerable, and again, you you have the ability to filter too, right? You're still like, emotionally vomiting all over the table. That's not vulnerability, right? It's it's showing up and being who you truly are. You don't want to be treated differently because you have two sick kids at home or you're taking care of your ailing parent, right? But that is context of who you are because we are not these two-dimensional people that fill a role. We're humans with jobs and all of the other things that go around with the jobs. So I would say you create the environment for uh, any of the, you know, there's the environment you control, the environments that you influence, right? So if you start to do it in the environments that you control, people come along, they will meet you there. They just have to trust that it's safe to do so. For me, so much of it is that's part of your regular check-in with somebody, right? Part of your regular check-in with whoever that coworker is or that friend or spouse is not like, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. Like no one's fine. Fine is not a real answer to that question. What are you thinking? What does your brain say? What do those like these three parts that you speak from, right? It's like the head, the heart, and the core. Brilliant friend of mine, Aaron Weedy, came up with this methodology of, of bringing out authenticity of people because you, they're the facts that you know that are true, they're emotional truths, and then there's these desires. And a lot of times we'll say, well, people, people don't get me because, you know, they, they just don't understand me. You're like, well, are you like, are you telling the full story? Are you telling people the facts that you know, how you feel, and what you want? If you're not saying that, then you're not really being authentic. So, so I feel like that's that's part of it is truly connecting to your authenticity and bringing your full self. And then also, it is a skill to sit there and receive authentic communication. It is when people are truly doing it, it can be a lot. And I think you know we don't jump in and try to relate. Like we just allow people to be authentic. Let them know that they're safe. Thank you for sharing. And then we move on. But if you start all your one-on-ones with, you know, 90 seconds of that, then you get to know each other as humans, not as coworkers, not as, you know, community members, but as like human beings, then we can start to to move forward. And I think you practice in places that are easy, right? Like you don't have to go and all of a sudden, you know, as part of your 2023 professional development, tell your boss that you're going to have more authentic communication with him or her. Like that doesn't, doesn't like know what we're doing, but like try to be more authentic with your spouse, try to be more authentic with your best friend. Like let somebody know, like, this is the path that I'm on. I'm going to try to do it. And I'm going to stumble and I'm going to trip, but I'm going to get more, I'm going to get better at it by practicing it. And to think you can just like flip a switch and be like, oh, I'm going to be authentic today. 
and for every day after like that's it is a authenticity is a practice which means we mess up and which means it continuously develops but when you become more authentic all of a sudden it's a bigger piece of the pie of the time that you are conscious that you are authentic that then it takes it over that's the only way you know how to be it is just it is just who you are i want to ask just one final question around this topic which is i'm sure that people have raised objections and fears to this idea of opening up. So if there's like a couple of the more common that are raised and, and how, you know, you kind of dispel them. Yeah. I mean, like, like you said earlier, I mean, you, you hit the nail right on the head. Like people don't want to be rejected. That's it. It's, it's a fear of rejection or changing of relationships. Right. So I think that's, I, I won't minimize that risk that, that it happens for sure. But if that is somebody in your life who is not willing to eventually, again, this isn't like at the end of this first conversation, to eventually accept and love you, not tolerate you, but accept and embrace you for who you are, do you really want them in your life? You know, like I think it's like an assessment of, you know, and we need. Um, you know, we have certain relationships that we can't get rid of, right? Like, so it's like our boss or whatever. Like, I get that. But I think we practice in other realms. We practice with friends, family, peers at work, right? We, we find those abilities to connect. The first thing that you're vulnerable about doesn't have to be your deepest, darkest secret, right? It's just a more honest version of who you are. So next time, so I would say like an easy one, right? We're just practicing it. When somebody at, next time asks you how your day is and you do the thing in your head where you're like, should I tell the truth? <laughs> or I don't want to dump that on somebody, right? Like, what do I do? Tell the truth. Like, tell them how your day is. You don't, you know, it's, it's hard. I'm struggling. I didn't sleep last night. You don't want any different treatment, but you're just connecting with what is true for you. So that's an easy one. And like, if it's the person at the grocery store, it's a pretty low risk situation. You know, how's your day? It's actually really lousy, right? Like they don't, that person's not trying to therapize you, but at the same time, like the fact that you can actually tap into how you are truly feeling and say it, that's what we're trying to get is that connection to not have that stutter step that it has when we decide, oh, are they going to judge me? Are they going to, is, is this going to change? No, this is just, this is who I am. The end. Nothing, you know, this is not like this huge announcement. This is just truth, right? So tapping into our truth is our first step. I think that's a great place to stop the sort of like more professional part of the conversation, if you will. I'm going to encourage everybody today, if you heard this podcast, when people ask you how your day is going, tell them. Before we go to the personal question of the podcast, Ash, if somebody wants to find you, where should they go? Yep, absolutely. So I uh, I have a website, ashbackham.com, uh, and there's like a direct uh, inquiry link through that. I'm on social media, Facebook, Ashbackham, LinkedIn, Ashbackham, backslash Ashbackham, Twitter, at Ashbackham, Instagram is the Ashbackham, because I was a little late to the Instagram thing. So so I'm, I'm on social and, and always open and, and willing to connect and have further conversations about this or I love hearing people's back practices, right? Like, I don't think that I do it right every time. There's always, there's different perspectives and different ways to do it. So when people share with me situations that they were in and how they handled it, how they wish they would have handled it differently, how they handled it better the next time, like that's the richness. That's where, where we get better is because, you know, they say when, 
when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And and so our job is to make our tool belt as have as many possible tools as it can so we can address every situation as it's needed, not just with what we have, but what the situation needs. Fabulous. And I just realized like our conversation was so good and, and it went to so many places that I forgot one question that I thought I was going to do in the beginning. I see on LinkedIn, you are calling yourself an accidental activist. Where is that coming from? Yeah, well, I never like planned this. You know, I wasn't like on Toastmasters to be a speaker. Like that was never my, I did a talk right before. So the March before was almost 10 years ago, actually this, this month, I did an event called Ignite Boulder, which is uh, five minutes, slides auto advance every 15 seconds. Uh, you know, their tagline is enlighten us, but make us qu- make it quick. And it was great because I, as someone who just like absorbs, I can listen to anything for five minutes. You tell me about, if you are passionate about it, I will listen to you talk about it for five minutes because I love stuff like that. So I went to one of those, there's this guy that spoke and he talked about his ups and downs with weight loss. And he's, you know, amateur speaker, you know, he's a guy, guys never talk about that. People in Boulder never talk about that. He was hilarious and vulnerable. It's like, and I didn't, it wasn't even the topic. It was like the feeling he evoked in the audience. And I was like that, I want to do that. And so then the next time they had an event, I applied and I, I got accepted and I got to do it. It was about not using the word gay in a negative way. And, and that was kind of my intro to speaking. And, and so that I got, I was fortunate and it was successful in the room that night and then got some traction online, which led to the TED talk, which then led to kind of more speaking. And I didn't, I was you know, caught up in the riptide. I didn't know what to do. Like this wasn't it for me. It was a creative challenge and it was a way to connect with people, but it was certainly wasn't a career pursuit. Like that's not what I was trying to do. But then all of a sudden you start to get these phone calls and inquiries. And can you speak to our high school? And can you come to this LGBTQ thing? And can you do this? And I was like, I don't know. I'm just me. Like this is just authentically is just kind of was kind of speaking my mind. And I expect to know more from that. But I think that that's the biggest thing about being authentic is once you are authentic, you are a leader, right? Like by the way you live your life, it's the people that you see that hold the door for somebody else. The person that you see that helps somebody when the grocery bag breaks and you, you know what I mean? Like there's these people that you see that you're like, yeah, 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 I want to be like that. Like that is it. It's not the people that you were in relationship with. People see you, the ripple effect of authenticity is unbelievable. You are inherently a leader when you are authentic. And so I knew that that was, it wasn't what I was trying to do, but it was making a connection and it was worth it for other people to, to be able to see themselves and maybe talk about things or give them words to enter into conversations they weren't previously ready to enter into. And, and so at that point, like I was always reluctant to be an activist because marching makes me uncomfortable like chants i don't love you know it's like it wasn't my thing of like the way i saw activism but this was a way of like you know you can do it in your own way i think that's what leadership is i mean obviously that's what authenticity means but like you can do it in your own way and if you do it authentically people buy they they buy in because they're there because they know you're being real right like that's all we want we don't want our leaders to be perfect we want to be real and relatable, right? And so that that is, I think, and it doesn't matter if it's whatever, millions of people that do the podcast are one person whose life you change because you're real and they can be more real. It's the same thing. 
That's totally true. So let's go to the personal questions. What's a passion that you have outside of your work and how does it maybe sometime impact your work? Well, I've been trying, I like went through a stretch of doing it for a while and then COVID made it a little bit harder, but I've been doing yoga, uh, a lot more yoga, and I am about as flexible as a two by four. I'm just like not a flexible human in any way. I can't do the bendy pretzel things. To me, it is important to do something I am not good at. Yeah, I mean, I'm not good at. I don't know if I'm sure every yoga instructor out there is like, you're not good or bad. You just are. But like, you know, for me, like I'm almost always, again, and like yoga has no judgment, but this is how I see it. I'm the worst one in the room <laughs> in, in the vast majority of those classes, right? I need all the props and the things, the extended things. And I always look uncomfortable, but I love it. And it's great. And it gets me out of my head. So I feel like that's something that I've been doing. And I think it kind of gives you that presence. It really, to me, opens up professionally that I... I am so reluctant to even use the word expert, but that we're always learning, right? Like we're always someone's guru. I mean, I don't really like that word. We're always someone's mentor and we're always someone's student, right? And and that flows both ways all the time. And I feel like that is what, that's what yoga teaches me of like always being open. You're always improving. And also where you are, if you are, striving for better however you define that where you are is exactly where you're supposed to be that's fabulous now my favorite question of the podcast is what is the either business expression or jargon or cliche that drives you crazy this one always has a caveat for me so i hate it gets better and i love the trevor project and i know that's what they do so a huge props for all the things that they do but to me it doesn't get better. We get stronger. We get more resilient. Like, I think, you know, the overall, sure, like rising tide lifts all boats. Like, I'll get that, but let's not minimize the work that we're doing, right? Like, sure, things aren't always going to, you know, the, their angle is like, things aren't always going to be like what they're like in high school. Like, you need to get out of there. And once you get out of there, life will get better. And I get that. But, it it does, I mean, it may or may not get better. You get better. You get stronger. You get more resilient. You get more secure in who you are. You acquire the tools to address the situations. Like, you get better. It is going to do whatever it is going to do. But to focus on you and to minimize that we, from every interaction, every hard conversation, every time we try to be authentic and fall on our face, we are falling forward. It is an improvement. We are getting better. And, it, and it's, it's just one step up, right? And I feel like for so many of us, authenticity and personal growth, like it takes that track of a, of a graph that's you know up and to the right. But if you zoom in on it, it's up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. The general trajectory is there. But day to day, moment to moment, there are ups and there are downs. But we are the ones that have the power to control what we can control so we get better. Hopefully we have some effect on it, but we are the ones that get stronger. Fantastic. We're going to go to the final question, which I call it food for the body or food for the soul. And it's your choice. You can share either a recipe or a drink or something that you love. Or if you want to go the soul route, something that nourishes your soul, you can pick a novel, a 
a movie, a song, a piece of music, art, an activity, something that really is important to you? I would say right now, the thing that is enriching my soul is I'm listening to the We Can Do Hard Things podcast with Glennon Doyle and Abby Wambach and Amanda Doyle, I think is her last name. And it is just, it is like the epitome of authenticity. I, I feel like it is, it is amazing to me. It feels like therapy that you don't have to get feedback at. <laughs> I think it, it's seeing the humanity of other people, that feeling that you're, you're not alone, that there are those struggles to me just really, really connects, connects to my soul. So that's one that I feel like I emote in all sorts of ways when I, when I experience that. So that's probably my, my richest one there right now. Well, Ash, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was super insightful and emotional in all the right ways. <laughs> it was great to have you. Uh, thank you so much, Dino, and thanks for the, the great work. I love the podcast and, and what you're bringing to people. It's amazing. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, find a friend who may enjoy it and tell them that they should listen to it. And if you really like the show, tell all your friends and post about it on social media. Every little bit helps. Make sure you're subscribed to the show on your favorite listening platform so you don't miss any episode. And if you listen on a platform that allows reviews like Apple Podcasts or Good Pods, please leave a rating or a review. Actually, leave a stellar rating or a review. Stick around because after the credits, I'm going to play a song by Susan Catania, one of Boston's best Americana singer-songwriters. To find all of Ash's links, go to the episode page of the podcast website, al4ep.com, spelled with the number four. You can email me at dino at al4ep.com. And make sure you follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. The handle in both places is at al4edp with the letter D. On Facebook, look for Authentic Leadership for Everyday People. This episode was produced by me, Dino Cattaneo, with additional edits by Pro Podcast Solutions. It was recorded remotely using Squadcast.fm. The theme music was composed, produced, and arranged by Nicolas Cattaneo, who also played keyboards and drums, with Tony Savarino on guitar and Jesse Williams on bass. And now, here's a Susan Cattaneo song, Baby We Fly, from her album Heaven to Heartache. Sky.
doesn't matter 